0: Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. We're going to talk about Jesus and the flood. As you're turning there during worship, I felt the Lord was speaking about condemnation. Condemnation is like a bad form of guilt. It's like you shouldn't have it, but you feel bad. And in Christ, there's no condemnation. So actually, before we get into the Bible... I just sense there's folks that you're just overwhelmed with things that you said or thought or did or the omission of what you should have done. And it's just haunting you now. And you're thinking, okay, well, sometime by the end of the sermon, I'm going to feel lifted. Let's feel lifted right now. And i like to pray because the verse that came to my mind is in Proverbs, the righteous man or the righteous person falls seven times. And gets back up. Everyone in this room has fallen this week, so let's confess, let's get cleansed, and let's draw near to God. Father, we're here for you. We're uh, you're doing a, a miracle in our lives, and we ask for a fresh cleansing. We thank you that your word promises your mercies are new every morning. And we're ashamed to admit we need them every morning. So, Lord, may you cleanse us now. Fill us. May you just lift any condemnations that we could just receive from your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you there? Genesis chapter 6. Talk about a flood. Now, my Uncle Harold just turned 99 years old. Is that insane? I guess there's good genes in my family. My dad died at 60, so they were brothers, so go figure. But he, he's been married to my Auntie Connie for 73 years, and Auntie Connie's always been a favorite. She's just the bomb. She's, everybody loves her. And so one day, Auntie Con- I was shocked she told me the story. She once heeded a warning. And it's a warning that you might want to heed yourself. And she, they were family vacation, They had five kids, they are in California at one time and driving in the boonies late at night, and nature calls. So Auntie Connie tells Uncle Harold, pull over, I got to go. So they pull over, she said, I'll just go in the bushes, there's nobody around. So she does this womanly, you know, you back up into the bushes, and then she heard this warning, and it really got her attention. It was a rattlesnake. And rather than get the bite in the ocole, she just, <laughs> she got out of there. She did not get bit. But the thing is, she heeded the warning. The warning is, hey, you don't want to go here. You want to turn around and get out of here. Now, how is it that people are listening to an animal's warning but they won't listen to God's warning. And this morning in Genesis, we hear this loud and clear. God says, there's 120 years. And then comes judgment. It's as if God's drawing a line in the sand and says, don't test me on this. I mean it. You got 120 years to repent. Now, some people died before that was up. And so what we want to know is how do we do this? How do we receive God's warning? Noah, me, his name means Peace. It means comfort or rest, I'm sorry, rest. And so right away we're thinking, how's Jesus in Genesis? Well, Jesus promised rest for our souls. It's a rest. A bed won't give, a bottle, drugs, nothing will give, but Jesus Christ, he promises this. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Now let see who knows this. He was wissywig. Anybody remember Whistlewig? Oh, notice, gotta be over 50. <laughs> whistlewig is it's a, a, a term when Apple Computer first came out and replaced DOS. DOS, you had to do all these DOS commands that were annoying, but what you had on your screen was not necessarily what was printed out on the printer. Macintosh comes along with Whistlewig, which means what you see is what you get. And so if you had italics on the screen, if you had bold or on the line, it would print the same way. Noah was whistle wig. What you see is what you get. He was the real deal, in other words. So when you think of Noah, let's get the bigger picture. You think uh, he was a man of grace. Now, grace is an acronym here. It means God's resources at Christ's expense. Yeah, salvation, you know, cleansing for us is free, but it costs Christ a lot. God's resources at Christ's expense. We know that he built an ark, right? We know that he was on the ark for over a year, right? He, he saw the first rainbow, like, Lord, what is that? That's my covenant. He, he, uh, he wasn't perfect. He once got drunk. He wasn't a drunk, period, but he went after, after the ark was done. He planted a vineyard and he got drunk. So, but did you know that Jesus talked about Noah? Remember last week we said Jesus talked about Adam and Eve as being created beings in the beginning? So it's like if Adam and Eve weren't created in perfect form and in the beginning of creation, that's all news to Christ. So now if there's no flood, that's news to Christ. Because he's talking about Noah. And he said the end times, which I believe we're living in, will be just like the days of Noah. And he gave us two reasons. All right. He gave us the recent, well, it'll be kind of business as usual. That's not his term, but ours. He says, well, we'll be eating and drinking. they will be getting married and stuff, meaning life goes on. It's just like we hear this noise. We hear these warnings. But no, 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 we're just going to go on. And hey, so-and-so's getting married. And hey, there's a party over here. Until the rain started coming. Until Noah actually got on the ark. Now, uh, Skip Heitzig. Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, comes up. He goes, oh, there's four, there's five things in, in, uh, to look for, reasons that we're so similar. Like the end times today are just like the times of Noah. It begins with a population explosion. So here in Genesis chapter 6, I'm reading from the New King James, just verse 1. Now it came to pass when, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. All right, so men were multiplying got to think that through uh, in, in a book called The Genesis Flood. Now, I'll refer to this a lot or several times because I'm not here to prove every detail. I'm here to see where Christ fits in to the book of Genesis. But in this book, uh, John Whitcomb and Her- Henry uh, Morris, they did this study. Now, they're a lot smarter than we are. And they said, you know, when people live to be 900 years plus, which Adam and Eve and all those guys did, you have a lot of babies. And so multiplication happens rapidly. So they said, you know, uh, within uh, the first 18 generations of living 900 years each, you have like 774 million people. And then about, they figure there's about a billion people on the earth. So when it says that the, the people inc- increased in Genesis 6-1, you're talking about a billion people who are going to be killed. This is insanely huge, right? So at the time of Christ, well, after, after the flood, God starts all over again with eight people Noah and his wife, their three sons, their three wives. They begin to repopulate the earth. They think around Jesus' time, there's about only 250 million people on the, on the earth. It wasn't until the 1800s that we reached a billion, but then it increased rapidly. So from 1800 to uh, 1927, now there's another billion. There's 2 billion people. Then it increases super fast. Only 33 years later, there's a third billion people. You go, wow, that's a lot. That's... We keep going. What is it today? February of 2021, an estimated 7.8 billion people. That's why we can say, yes, we are just like the times of Noah. Now, from then, we see there's sexual sin that has increased. So, in, again, in Genesis 1, or I'm sorry, Genesis 6, uh, verse 1, it came to pass, they multiplied. Verse 2, that the sons of God, it's going to be a tough one. People don't agree on what the, that term means. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, so human beings, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves and the all whom they chose, the Lord said, as a result of this, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, and yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. So there's there's a warning, one hundred twenty years. Now there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards seems after the flood. When the sons of men, or I, that that's even up for debate, but there are giants in the land, and. Uh, and also afterward, And the sons of men came in to the daughters of men, and they bore them children to them. And they were mighty men of old, men of renown. Now, what this term mean? Uh, uh, maybe you've heard the term is Nephilim. It means fallen ones. Who are these great ones that married the, uh, the, the women? So, two main views. And again, there's no general consensus on this. Uh, the first one, for what it's worth... The godly lineage of Seth, now remember Adam and Eve had three, the first three sons. Cain, he killed his brother Abel, and then the third one was Seth, who came after. Now, they, this one theory is, okay, the lineage of Seth married the lineage of Cain, the ones who were judged and kind of uh, tossed out. And says, "Oh, But what I don't get is, how does that become super evil? Why would that tick off God to the point he says, I'm, uh, I'm going to judge the whole place? But that's one theory. The second one is uh, the Nephilim. These fallen ones are actually fallen angels. Like they, they follow Lucifer, Satan, and that they had relations with uh, human women. Right away, people go, wait a minute. Jesus said angels in heaven don't marry. Right. He never said they, they were sexless. It seems every time you read of an angel, it's a, a masculine name—Michael, Gabriel. When angels appear on Earth, remember when they, uh, before Sodom and Gomorrah was overthrown, the angels came and actually ate with uh, Abraham and Sarah. But they were men. They always appear as men. So it's it's this is another theory that those fallen angels somehow had uh, relations with human women, and then these sons of God are. Uh, or I'm sorry, then as a result, they have these giants and these men of renown. In the Septuagint. Septuagint is, remember, there's an Old Testament written mostly in Hebrew. Then along come, the Greek translated the Old Testament into Greek, and that's the Septuagint. But whenever they used the term sons of God, it was always for uh, angelic beings. The end result, that's what I want to get to. I'm not here to debate those things. The end result, whatever happened, because of that, God says, I am going to judge the world. Uh, He saw that there was wickedness of men. In today's world, how do we relate to this preoccupation with sex? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's too available. And we're thinking about it way too much. Third thing, Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continual. I don't think you can say it stronger than that. And the Lord, Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy men whom I have created from the f- face of the earth, both men and beasts, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I've made them, but Noah, in contrast, found grace. All right. So wickedness increases. When he says the every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was evil continually, it means they're consumed with ways to do more evil. So uh, I might be at work, but I'm thinking, how can I burn that guy? How can I trick that girl into bed? How can I cheat over here? It's like constantly thinking, and it also shows God knows my thoughts. In Psalm 139, it says... God knows our thoughts before we even think them, because He's omniscient. That means all—not all science or all knowledge. He's got it all. So we're consumed with ways to think of, of sin, and here God says, I, "I, I'm sorry. I'm grieved." Now you go, well, didn't you see that was coming? I mean, if you're omniscient, if you know everything, why are you? It sounds like you're surprised. No, this is called an anthropomorphism. <laughs> That's a long one. Anthropomorphism is a way of trying to explain you using human terms to try and explain God. God is omniscient, He knows everything, He's all powerful. He He knew this was coming. And yet God is finite. We're or we're finite. He's infinite. And how do you describe the the infinite using finite terms? How you know even without having category failure. Category failure is when people go, how old is God? That's the wrong category. We as finite beings, we have age, so we're in the age category. You can say, how old is Mike? But if you say, how old is God? That's the wrong category. He's in eternity. So you have to use a different category for him. And so here it is. How do you describe that God had these feelings and yet we're limited to using human terms. That's where these anthropomorphisms come in. God was sorry. God was grieved. Isn't it interesting? It's, we're told you can only grieve someone who loves you. I love that. So here God created mankind. He had a purpose. He had a desire to see them excel. He had all this in store for them. And instead they just went the, the sinful way. Now... Again, he describes in no uncertain terms. You guys, it's 120 years, and then there comes judgment. Here's when it concerns me. Because, again, we see this in today's uh, society. So in, in uh, chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way be- uh, uh, their way on the earth. How do you look at something you created and the whole thing turns sour? Absolutely crazy, sinful, disgusting. We had a great week this past week. Our cesspool decided to give in, give up, give up the ghosts, whatever. And uh, I don't have PowerPoint pictures to show you so you won't get the full gist of it. But I'm telling you, man, it was gross, it was stinky, it was a mess. And you look in there, and the whole thing was corrupt. The whole thing was, you didn't go, well, that corner over there is fine. No, the whole thing was a mess. And that's how God's looking at earth. He goes, this is a mess. The entire world is corrupt, and they're bent on violence. Again, except for, for Noah, who found favor. So you look at the violence on TV. I've been reading these, these uh, papers on how much violence there is and how many kids watch like for at least four hours a day or whatever and they're exposed to violence and what it's doing to our kids, they're becoming immune. No empathy, no sympathy to reach out and it's like their, their senses are becoming dulled to what's going on. They just see it on TV. You know what's weird? Not only do they see the, the violence on TV, they see so often people get away with it. It was alarming. So we see that. We see 20, 20 years ago, the Twin Towers. Do you remember Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001? I do, I got a call at like 4, 4.30 in the morning. Hey, what are you doing? Uh, turn on your TV. And I was just, that was 20 years ago, this, this September. And we're just in shock still that it happened on American soil. But the violence, the amount of people who died and the results were just horrible. How about last summer's riots in U.S. cities? Do, have we forgotten already? Our, our nation was in upheaval. It's like, what in the world's going on? They were protesting. Yeah, and then there's these pallets of bricks right around the corner from where they were protesting. How convenient to throw them in the store windows and get your own TV. It was just crazy. That's just the... You know, Last last summer, how about in the U.S., just last year, in 2020, murder spiked 30% in the U.S. Do you know what they attribute it to? COVID-19. They say we're driving each other crazy and shooting. So here's the ark. We begin again in chapter 6, verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all the earth, uh, end of all flesh comes before me. The earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, there must have been a ton of this wood around his area because this ark is humongous. Make it of gopher wood and uh, make rooms in the ark, actually nests where animals would nest. So make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So there must have been oil in that area. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. You know, then its uh, width is 50. height is uh, 30. And you shall make a window. (laughs) So all along the top, you got to release all that air, man. There's a lot there. You got a floating zoo inside. It's going to stink. So make a a window. You shall make it with a lower deck, a second and third decks. And and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth. So it's not just a natural coincidence, God is doing this. To destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that's on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring in two of every sort uh, into the ark to keep them alive with you, male and female, of the birds of their kind, animals, animals, their kind, creeping things, <laughs> and of their kind, two of every uh, kind. You shall bring to, uh, shall come with you to keep them alive, and you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten. You shall gather to yourself, and the food shall be with, uh, uh, for you and for them. Thus Noah, did you see this? Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So, it's huge. My wife used to work on the Queen Mary there in Long, long Beach, uh, California. It's bigger than that, if you've ever seen that. Uh, the dimensions in our terms are 450 feet long, 75 feet across, and, and 30 or 45 feet high. It's not your classic thing with a bow front and a back. It's like a, a floating shoebox, just this humongous, thing, uh, big enough to carry. They figured it's only 17,600 species at that time. And again, you can go into that book, The Genesis Flood, and they detail all of this to where you go, wow, that's pretty cool. They go into uh, how much uh, square footage was in this, if it's three levels, and easily enough to fit the the animals in the world at that time. A a, a ship, to put this into perspective, a ship of that size was not Remade, or actually bigger, until 1858. So this is thousands of years later we catch up with what, uh, what Noah did. Uh, there's been several sightings of it there on Mount Ararat in Turkey. The, uh, the government won't let us get in there and, and uh, see it, but you know Josephus talked about it. Other guys, writers have talked about it. Um, there, there's one expedition. Let me read this to you. It was so amazing what these guys did. An elderly American man, or I'm sorry, elderly Armenian man in America said that as a boy, he visited the ark with his father and three atheistic scientists in 1856. The goal, or their goal, was to disprove the ark's existence. But they found it. And they became so enraged, they tried to destroy it. But they couldn't because it was too big and it had petrified in 1918, one of those three uh, atheistic uh, scientists admitted on his deathbed the story was true. They really found the ark. And there's are several things chronicled that it's still there. And wouldn't it be cool for God to one day just open this thing up and the world goes, what? There's really an ark? So there's been several sightings. But here's the deal. Noah didn't have to go out and lasso all these animals and said, God just miraculously brought them to him. And again, you can see how they'll fit. Here's the main thing about the ark. To me, it's not about the ark. It's about God's faithfulness. God, in his faithfulness, said, in 120 years, I'm going to judge this world. But in faithfulness, I will provide a way out. And in faithfulness, he brought it. And it rained like crazy. And with the rainbow, in faithfulness, he said, I will never do that again. Now we know from 2 Peter, it's gonna be the earth's gonna be consumed with fire next time. But it, it's amazing. It's a it's all about God's faithfulness. So it, it ends, that chapter ends with, no one did it. God, you said it? I did. Okay, can we fathom this? This humongous, like, could you build the Queen Mary ship with you and three boys? <laughs> it, it, what in the world, what have I ever done for 120 years? I am lousy at finishing projects. I looked through my garage yesterday, I go, I can't believe I have projects from years ago that someday, I'm going to get around to that, someday, and all wood project, okay, I'm going to, I haven't done it yet. He's stuck to it, stuck with it for 120 years. How do you get Halfway through and look back you say, are you serious? We're only halfway through. This is crazy. Lord, maybe I didn't hear you right. Can we do a rowboat? You know, it's like 120 years, an enormous task. But it says Noah did it. He knew God said it. He knew there'd be ridicule. He knew there'd be confusion. But he did it. Now, the ark, uh, again, in, in, uh, here's two resources for you. Because, again, my purpose isn't to prove everything that happened. It's to see Jesus in it. But uh, for those of you with kids, or I, I actually watched this uh, just the other day, reasonsforhope.inc. Remember Carl Kirby? He spoke at this church. He was actually just here on the island, came to my office. I said, can you preach for us? Because you've done a great job. And he couldn't. He was already booked. But in Reasons for Hope, they have a five-minute video. Now, you with kids, if you want to have fun with your kids, and who doesn't? If you don't want to have fun with your kids, you're, you're weird. But uh, they have this five-minute video that I, I thought was great. And they showed how the, the ark could fit all of these animals on it in just five minutes. Now, if you're saying, well, that's the kind of kids' play. I, I want something more legit. Again, the Genesis Flood. It's a 500-page book. It's by John Wickham and Henry Morris, and here's a picture of it, and that chronicles and details everything. It's very convincing. So, the ark, basically, we have to get back to it, it was God's design. It's not that man came up with, hey, let's just build a boat in the middle of nowhere, no water around, but we're just going to build this boat. No, it was God's design. It had one door. Okay, we're going to see how Christ fits into Genesis. There's one door. And then God enters a covenant with Noah. God says, okay, Noah, you're my boy. I'm going to give you a covenant, and pretty soon I'm going to give you this rainbow to mark the covenant. Whenever you see the rainbow, you think of my faithfulness. When I see the rainbow, I'm going to say I'm not going to cause it to rain like that ever again. So to me, that rainbow covenant is like the wedding ring. It's a token. There's no power in the wedding ring. It's a reminder that when I see it, I go, oh, that's right. I committed myself to one person. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no one else I'd rather be with. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And, and I, I look at this ring. It takes me back 44 years, barefoot and out at Mokolaea, with my bride that I got to kiss for the first time on that day. When the pastor said, you may now kiss your bride. But the thing is, I th- see the ring and I think of a promise when you see a rainbow, you just think of God's promise. He will never cause it to rain like that again. Or his covenant. You're forgiven in Christ. He's your good shepherd. He will never leave you or forsake you. A lot there in this covenant. So the flood in Genesis 7, there's evidence for a universal flood, a universal catastrophe that happened at the same time. Natural phenomena, and again, broad strokes here, folks. Did you know that there's great inland saltwater seas in China, India, and America? Bonneville Salt Flats. There's not much salt uh, water there anymore. And you go, how did, they, how did they get there? How did they get from the ocean uh, into, into there? There's fossil records you could get into this where the fossil records prove something catastroph- catastrophic. Something big happened. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> a big word. I'm still impressed I said that. Anthropomorphism. So, uh, worldwide c- catastrophe. Okay, we talked about four things. There's supposed to be five. First was the population explosion. Then there was the sexual sin increase. Then there was the wickedness, the violence, right? F- oh, I'm sorry, filled with violence. And now well, what's the fifth one? Unheeded preaching. Everything fits in. A guy preached for uh, 120 years and not one convert. How many of us would have given up? Oh, phew, nobody's listening. And yet there's something inside that compelled him. No, God says to do this. I want to reach people. I love them enough. I don't want them to be judged. So unprecedented uh, preaching. Here's how I- I'm thinking. To build something this big and uh, the amount of gopher wood it took, an amount of acreage to build it, You got to have a neighbor come by and say, hey, hey Noah, what you doing? (laughs) You know, I'm I'm probably chuckling. Dude, it's massive. I have no idea. The sea is like 100 or 1,000 miles that way. What are you doing? He says, well, I'm building an ark because God said it's going to rain. You have to understand, they would go, rain, what's that? At this point, it had never rained in the world. It says the water, the mist had come up from, from the uh, earth itself to water the earth, but it had never rained. W- we believe there's this canopy of protection around the earth at that time, which kept out a lot of the harmful rays of the sun and allowed people to live 900 years. Immediately after the flood, that canopy was released in the flood. No more protection from the sun, and we see life, uh, lifespan is greatly reduced. So here he's going, rain? What's rain? Can you imagine explaining rain to someone that's never rained? The guy could go, wait, wait, wait. are you serious? You're telling me that water is going to come down from the sky? Uh, no, I'm, I'm 500 years old. Trust me, it's never rained one time. Besides that, water is heavier than the air. It's not going to rain. And it's definitely not going to rain that much. Do you understand? When you're talking about, it's never happened before. When you're telling people about the rapture, you get the same thing. God's going to remove his bride from this, this earth all at once. It's never happened. Actually, it has once or twice. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That's the rapture. Elijah the prophet was lifted up with the chariots of God. So we have two mini samples. But when you're talking about Worldwide rapture, people, they laugh at you. Well, they laughed at Noah. But God promises he's going to do it. And so here it goes, well, rain, what's that? It's impossible. It's not going to happen. God says it. That's all I know. He's not a scientist. He doesn't know about rain clouds and all that stuff. He says, well, God said he's going to do it. So Noah, we read this in Philippians 2, that you and I are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Noah's doing. He's taken this abuse. He's taken the mockery. He's taken the, the, the patience, 120 years. He's taken all this. But he says, You know what? God saves me and he gives me something to do. I'm not, Thank you, Lord, I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going to live like the devil in the meantime. I'm not just, Thank you, Lord, I, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to cruise in the meantime. He goes, No, no, you saved me with a purpose. And your plan for my life is to fulfill that purpose, and I'll be happiest when I'm fulfilling that purpose. And I'll discover that purpose as I'm walking with you. And so here, Noah, this is a graphic uh, illustration of someone who worked out their salvation in fear and trembling. What's your purpose? See how that works. So Noah obeyed God, even though he didn't see him. He didn't have a Bible, anything like that. It's an amazing story. Now, in Hebrews in the hall of faith, for people who really walked in faith. Noah's mentioned in verse 7 that his work resulted in the saving of his household. Kind of cool, like, okay, Noah, this isn't just for you. If you do this right, your whole household is going with you. You have more motivation than just, well, I want to get out by the skin of my teeth. No, no, no. If you do this right, your whole family, is going to be saved. That, that's going to come up again as we uh, close. Okay. For 120 years, we're told in 2 Peter 2, 5, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And you think, you know, genius is thinking opposite. So you go, what else would people preach? If you're not preaching righteousness, I ask you, what would they preach? What kind of preaching do you hear today in our streets? Equality. Good subject. It's crazy what's going on. The difference between blacks and whites and men and women and, and and yeah, no wonder there's people with such passion. And and they won't be denied with fervency. They'll preach about equality. And I have to admit, it's a great subject. How about peace? There are other preachers there are preachers of peace and you see the 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 unrest in our society. You you see how do you know that there's a such persecution against Christians today in, in Nicaragua. No, no, no. Uh, Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Just crazy stuff going on. Syria. Uh, North Korea. Just where uh, they're trying to do this ethnic cleansing in some areas. they so just kill all the Christians. Yeah, we need peace. We need to put down the weapons and, and live peacefully with one another. Here's my problem. If you're into e- equality, if you're into peace, you can maybe even attain that and still go to hell. I mean, okay, you got your peace for 20 years. You got your e- e- equality. but But you end up in hell. Whereas if you preach righteousness, equality and peace come along with it. Because now you're dealing with the heart of God. So he, uh, what does it mean to preach righteousness? Well, you can start with God. this God of love created you. He created you. He has a plan for your life. The problem is we've all sinned, every single one of us. We're, we've all messed up. Let's not kid ourselves. And then God has provided, remember the ark? the only way of escape around god's provided one way of escape it has one door and and either repent or be judged that's a pro, that's a preacher of righteousness to leave off the last one is not fair to say well god has a plan for your life and like, oh okay by the way repent or there's hell waiting changes everything what did you say i'm saying what jesus said More than all the other prophets combined, he warned us about hell. And so a preacher of righteousness, yes, God created us in love. But we've all sinned. God's made a provision in Jesus Christ. And repent or be, be judged. Now, it said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can find grace only in Jesus Christ. All right? Now, I love this one. Do you think Noah was a liberal preacher or a literal preacher? What do you mean? Well, a liberal preacher. Well, it might be 120 years. But maybe that represents, I don't know, 120 trees in the wilderness. No? Maybe it represents, you know, just uh, eventually. Or And, you know, liberal preachers go crazy with stuff that, where would you find that? What are you doing with that? And they, you know, just... Instead of just saying, hey, you know what? God said it. I think he means it. You're saying, oh, let's just uh, do all these euphemisms or or just make it it so soft. That's a liberal preacher. What about a a literal preacher? (laughs) I think God said what he meant and meant what he said. Now, you can do that with compassion. You can do that with pain. You can do that trying to reach someone and not just too bad. But a literal preaching, you know what? God said 120 years. You know what he said in the New Testament? It's appointed for man to die once. You just don't know when. And then you you see God. That's what it says in the New Testament. So, unheeded preaching. 120 years. He was a preacher of righteousness. Do you think he heard in the mocking, do you think he heard a God of love wouldn't do that? Do you hear that today? How many times have you heard a God of love would not send anyone to hell? Well, hell technically was created for Satan and his fallen angels. We don't, he doesn't send us so much as we earn it. The wages of sin is death. But so I, don't you think Noah heard the same thing? Um, God's going to judge. I don't think so. God loves us. Do you think he ever heard this one? Sin. Everyone's doing it. Look around, Noah. They're all cheating on their spouses. They're all liars. They're all cheats. They're all hypocrites. Why, well, everyone's doing it. You can't just, you know. So they're justifying it that way. How about this? Quit judging me, Noah. You think he heard that? That kind of make it sound like we're living in the same age. Like, quit judging me. I'm loving you. I'm, you know, how can you say, it? I'm not saying, I'm quoting God's word. There's a huge difference. Quoting God's word. Now, do you ever think Noah felt fine? Don't repent. What do I care? Go to hell. Is that blunt in your face? Have you not thought it? When after all, I mean, come on, 120 years, people going, no, 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 don't judge me. Fine. You know, Jesus said in the last days, because sin abounds, the love of many will grow cold. I always thought that was the world. I think it does, but Christians can fit in there too. Where the sins abound and after a while you go, I'm tired of preaching righteousness. I'm tired of saying repent. I'm t- it's so caught up in this. Fine, go to hell. But you can't do that. So for 120 years Noah goes, no, I'm preaching righteousness. This is what God says and I'm not going to vary from it. I'm not going to soften it. I want to love people enough to tell them the truth. So back to uh, Genesis 7. God's invitation, come into the ark. It's all, it's all done now. Just come on in. <laughs> it started raining. So that guy who once said, oh, I've been there 500 years, never rained. Could you go, what? What, is, what is that? And then it starts pouring. I mean, like monsoon kind. Where this is cuckoo crazy. Now it also says the fountains of the deep. Of the great deep were broken up. So, this is a twofold. Yeah, it's pouring rain, this canopy of, of protection is now being released and the rain's flooding, but also the water underneath the uh, earth just comes up at the same time. So, there's, not, there's no getting away. It happens uh, simultaneously, both at the same time. And yet, for, for Noah, it says God shut him in. You notice they get in. Now, Noah had put pitch on the outside and on the inside. But that left the door. And so he comes in and God seals the door. Like he seals us in Christ. And it took God because I'm thinking, if I was Noah and those people are starting to pound on the door saying, please let us in. You were right. We were wrong. Please, I repent. And it's too late. God said, 120 years, it's going to happen. I think Noah was heartbroken at that point. The rest is history. So here's Jesus in Genesis. Number one, Jesus, as we said, talked about Noah in Matthew 24, that famous end times chapter. He said that end times would be just like it was in the days of Noah. And again, he gave us two of the, the main ones. Like we call businesses, you, just life goes on. They're eating, they're getting married. It's like no big deal. There's a rattlesnake in the bush that's going, I'm going to buy it. You need to change direction. You need to think this through. And we're going, no, 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 I'm too busy. Sorry if I woke you up with the rattlesnake. That wasn't planned. God's spirit, He says, I won't strive with man forever. The good news is He does strive with us. It's just a, there's a point where He goes, "Fine, have it your way." The fact that He grieves us, grieves over us, He's trying to strive with us. He's trying to reach us. Maybe this morning you're not a Christian. Maybe this morning you're going, you know what, I want my sin, I don't care, don't judge me, and you got all those classic re- remarks. God's Spirit is striving with you to show you the direction, to convict you of your sins. Now, the Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit's trying to work with us, patient, amazing, He, he his patience, just praise God for his patience. But here, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit saying, hey, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is like walking into a rattlesnake. What you're doing is like you're inviting judgment. You need to turn now. Well, I'll turn later. No, now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know why? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So here, praise God that he, he, he strives with us for right now. And that we don't want to grieve his Holy Spirit because he's leading us into God's truth, to God's best, to God's abundant life for us. So, verse Jesus in Genesis, as the ark was salvation from God's judgment, it was God's design. Remember, only had one door, one way to get in. Nobody said, you know, I'm going to go through the back. There's no such thing. There's just one way. Very simple. So in the same way, Jesus... Is our salvation from judgment of sin. It's just one way. You know how powerful this is for Jesus to go, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. That's radical. But it's simple. It fits with the the ark. Just one way. So as Noah found grace with God, you and I can find grace with Jesus Christ. That's the only place for it. Grace upon grace, the Bible talks about. Now, Jesus gives an invitation. Remember, God said, hey, enter the ark. Jesus said, come unto me. All you who are weary, all you're tired, you're heavy, you're just, you know, you're over it, you're exhausted. He said, I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll give you rest for souls. Nobody can give you rest for your souls. But that's what, Jesus, so the invite is, come on in. Come on in. The famous one in Revelation 3.20 he said, I'm standing at the door of your heart, knocking. You hear my voice? Open the door. I'll come in. So the, the invitation is there. We don't always uh, follow through with it. So as God entered a covenant with Noah, we enter a covenant with Jesus. The covenant says this, I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. If that's all it was? Great, but that's just starting I'll provide, for you. I'll be your good shepherd. How's that? I'll provide, I'll protect, I'll lead, I'll guide, I'll bring you home to heaven. But in the meantime, I'll give you abundant life. That's his covenant with you today. You go, but I messed up. That's why new mercies are there every, every morning. So here's the problem here's God striving with us. Jesus said in Matthew 23, how often I wanted to gather your children together. And he uses this illustration, kind of like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You know what he said? But you weren't willing. So it shows that on God's part, he's trying. He's reaching. He's pleading. And we're going, nah, you know what, bad timing, God. I've, I got other stuff going. He says, no, I'm trying, but, but you were not willing. So finally... If the worship team can come on up, that would be great. Noah obeyed God, even though he didn't see God. Hebrews, again, says, Noah's obedience resulted in the saving of his household. Meaning, Noah, this is going way beyond just you. Your family will be blessed. Your, your wife, your marriage will be blessed. It's for the saving of your household. So, what's God calling you to do today with this message? I'm not interested in hearing a a nice little story about a boat. I want to be challenged by the Spirit of God and say, wait, you had a purpose for Noah. You must have a purpose for me. You called him to do something because the world was heading towards that rattlesnake. The world was heading towards that judgment. I want to do something about it. Do you know that you could be a Noah? You could warn somebody next to you, but you know what? They're going to go, quit judging me. They're going to go, I don't think a God of love would do that. It doesn't change the message. Still, in love, you reach out. Some, you need to get right with God. You know, to to hear this, you're not guaranteed to to, tomorrow to say, like, today. What is God calling you to do today? Who is he calling you to share with Today. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we pause because we want to give you time to speak. It's a huge subject, we only scratch the surface. But there's so many ways I am not like Noah, and I want to be. Lord, what are you calling? We want to drown out the, the, the noise of the world, the noise of uh, needs, of uh, financial We want to hear from you. And we're assembled here in the, in the name of Christ to worship you, thank you, praise you, but also to receive from you. Lord, I pray there's folks here who it's time to receive forgiveness. They're hearing the warnings. They want to turn. You know, as we're praying, if you're here and you don't know Christ, you've never had your sins forgiven or you need them, I'd love to pray for you. Could you just show me who you, just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ this morning. I want to be cleansed Right here and right now. Is there anyone? I'm looking around. There's someone. Could you just pray this prayer? The one who raised your hand, or, or if you did, not it's a prayer of repentance, a prayer asking for forgiveness. Just repeat this Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please enter my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.